Welcome to season three of Beyond Philanthropy, Systemic Change. Hello, and welcome back to Beyond Philanthropy. I'm Valerie. I'm here with my co-host, Monique. And we are here for the episode that almost wasn't. So if you've been with us for a while, (laughs) you may remember last season, we had an episode that was not, and it was um, a comedy of errors uh, with recording issues and my microphone making me sound like a monster was shrieking every time I tried to speak. Uh, so we, uh, we're back and we're really, really excited to finally get a conversation, uh, with Brandon Campbell. So Brandon Campbell, full disclosure is on the board of the organization that I currently work for, which is how I was introduced to Brandon, but Monique had worked with Brandon in the past as well. And Brandon, I'm going to butcher what you do. So I want to say <laughs> welcome. And then I'm going to ask you. you to tell us <laughs> what you do and what your areas of expertise are. Sure. I'm very glad we have been able to make this episode that is now. So I'm Brandon Campbell. I have a company called Brandon Campbell Communications, which is a DEI consulting firm. But one of the things I really do is look at the intersection between the ways that we communicate and diversity, equity, and inclusion, because there's so much overlap in that area. And so many of the challenges that we have come down to the ways that we listen or don't listen to people or certain people, the ways that we talk to people, the language that we use to talk, refer to folks. So that that's a really prevalent underpinning and starting to get folks to look at that can be a really powerful, actionable way to get folks to really realize that they're not necessarily treating people as fully human. I am just, I've always been passionate about caring for people. And that's really what this comes down to for me. So, you know, these are terms, they are terms that have been weaponized. You can add DEIB, you can add all kinds of things, but it comes down to caring about people and needing to get to know people in order to care about them and ultimately bring out the best in them. So that is, is what I do with organizations, do trainings to help folks reframe from thinking about DEI as just this checkbox to this way of living and thinking and ongoing work to be, this is a paraphrase of Austin Channing Brown. It is one of my favorite quotes, but she says, this work is to about being a better human to other humans. That's what it comes down to. No, I love, I love that. One, I'm excited for this conversation because I was sick the last time. So I wasn't part of the original conversation that was, but wasn't. But yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that fact. I, I often talk about like, we're just, just can't, can we just take care of each other? Like we're just humans, right? Like, can't we just be and support each other in our beings authentically? Yes. Um, so I appreciate all that you do. And, and it's interesting. So we met, I guess it, I thought it was two years ago. I'm going to say two years ago or almost two years ago. Because you were speaking with the Philadelphia Public Relations Association on PR and how to be more inclusive in um, in PR, so I think I think actually at that time they had put together almost like a a, a glossary of terms as well, mm-hmm. and 
as Valerie and I have just been like, you know, in this work, we're often sharing just things that we learn and not just more inclusive terms, but the history of terms. And I think that there are terms that we might use that we might think are inclusive, but aren't because they started with this colonialistic point of view. Um, like stakeholders, we talked about that um, several mm. times on, on here. Um, what was the one the other day you sent me, Valerie, that kind of That's blew my mind? just trying to remember i'm trying to remember where i sent it to you from instagram instagram. From instagram all right i'm gonna find it so while she's looking for that i feel like all of our words are like that like they all have these like torrid histories mm-hmm. uh like what like professionally like wh- where do we go with that right because are we just creating a new language oh and before you answer that it was cakewalk Cakewalk. So I was just thinking that in my head. A okay, lot of perfect. folks don't know about cakewalk. No. So tell us, tell us all the things, especially including why you should not use cakewalk anymore. Well, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious if there's anything I would learn from the post. So I'm going to defer to that first. It was the New York Times. So okay. it defined cakewalk as a contest in which Black people would perform a stylized walk in pairs, typically judged by a plantation owner. The winner would receive some type of cake had no idea no idea yeah it's I one of the things that I think intimidates people and understandably so is they're just you've illustrated the point as much as you are in this and about this you're still learning and I think if we can all view that as a positive we have to view this with um come to this work with humility and no, we're not going to know anything. We're going to make mistakes. And if you're about being a better human to other humans, if you learn, oh crap, I did not know that this was offensive or have this history and just start to not use that. Do exactly what you did say, hey, Monique, to a friend, to colleagues, did you know this was the history of this word? And then correct yourself. No harm done. You have learned Um, if you refer to a a group as something they don't want to be referred to, it's a horrifying feeling. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to hurt people. But if someone says, oh, you know what? I actually prefer this. Okay. And we'll, we'll feel, we'll feel a little something, a little sting, but it's about like, this person has told me how I can be better to them, how I can better respect them. That's a powerful lesson. So if we can kind of put our egos, subdue our egos a little bit and just always be looking to learn, then that's a huge way to really move forward with being with being inclusive and being inclusive with language because you're open to learning and understanding um, as, mm-hmm. as you learn more. I feel like I'm already going to take us off topic. So okay. <laughs> I was just going to say here. So <laughs> I, I had, a, you saw my face. Um, we have to start doing videos of these because people would die. Um, so the other day I was having a conversation with someone and, you know, he was talking about, you know, people getting together from different, you know, backgrounds and da, 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 da. And in my mind, I summarize that as, oh, you mean like a community dialogue? And he immediately was like, no. And I was like, oh no, he was like, that is such a triggering word for me. And I was like, oh, why? Like, I, I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I was just regurgitating what you said. He was like, well, I don't consider these community dialogues. I consider them community. I forgot what he said, but the precipice of it was like, he was part of one before and mm-hmm. 
and the experience that he had from it was very extractive and very discriminatory. And he was just like, so I no longer utilize that term. So the rest of the conversation, every time I was like, wait, not that. And he was like, oh, I appreciate you. I was like, you just told me that was triggering for you. So mm-hmm. while I don't hold that same context around that, I'm not going to sit here and continue to have a conversation with you that's triggering. So, and that's not something that I might remove from my dialogue personally, mm-hmm. because like he said, that was from an experience that he has and he now attributes that. Um, but I think that we often lose that respect in conversations, right? Because like, well, I didn't take it that way. So I'm going to keep using it. Whereas he's like, well, no, I was in this incident that triggered me. So I, I always associate it with this term. That's hard to do. Like that, that was a one-on-one conversation, you know, as, as leaders who are often in conversation with groups of constituents, Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we navigate that? Yeah. So I, I, think one of the most important things, and I have a feeling this is already happening, but really trying to be, even when you're not in front of your of the constituencies, really still trying to find ways to understand the conversations happening, the issues happening. We were just talking about Instagram. One, I think easy and practical thing to do is pick some follow some sources that are from those communities and so that when you're scrolling you're learning by default what are the conversations happening how are these groups referring to themselves how are they referring to things happening in their communities that won't protect against everything but it's showing that this isn't just a sometimes thing i'm really trying to embed understanding the conversations that are taking place and adding these different perspectives to what I consume on a daily basis. So that is is one uh, really strong suggestion that I have. Um, and you know, a, as leaders, you you know, and this is is so hard, especially when it's large groups. But um, that example you shared is so powerful. And while that's not necessarily possible to have an exchange like that, depending on the type of of meeting or engagement, um, when there is that care for people, um, that's going to come through in the way that you do things even before you get to maybe the four engagements you have each year with with this group or something like that. Um, There will be, it will be in how you carry yourself and how you really take the time to listen to what is said. So while you can't necessarily have that same conversation in that same way, the way that you listened to that gentleman, that can happen in every setting. The really listening, kind of saying back, this is what I heard. Oh no, actually this this is the part that I have issue with. Okay, um, the active listening is something that we do not do well as a society, not calling mm. anyone out. I'm included in that. Um, and when you realize how much I, give the vision of double dutch and then i do that i'm like does that date me do people still do double dutch <laughs> yes not. there is now a 40 and over group in philadelphia that does double dutch come come yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> i'm hoping to spend happy. my summers with them <laughs> <laughs> that's phenomenal but i think of kind of you know you're waiting to go in and that's kind of how we tend to have conversations we're not really listening we're just like oh i want to respond to that and you're just like when do i go in 
and you're disregarding everything else that's happening. Uh, so really just caring about what people are fully trying to tell you and being fully present, that's another really powerful tool to showing what you're saying to me matters. So I think where I struggle is that nonprofits or at least nonprofit leaders have gotten really good at having a good face of inclusivity, mm. saying the right things in public and maybe not saying the right things or being as inclusive in private. So um, for the organization that I work for, we support people experiencing homelessness. We say that out of respect. Um, you are mm -hmm. not your situation. Homelessness is temporary. It's meant to be temporary. Calling you a homeless person implies that you will never get out of the situation that you're in. So we say people experiencing homelessness to honor that. Um, that's not always how our participants refer to themselves, but I've never had anyone complain that we use the temporary versus the ongoing, never ending, you are just homeless. Um, so in public, you know, our, our supporters, our leaders, everybody in our organization is pretty good at following that party line. Mm -hmm. In private, <laughs> maybe not so much. And I correct when I feel like I can. Um, but that lack of inclusive language when no one else is looking really mm -hmm. starts to get under my skin and really yes. make it difficult to believe in the integrity of the organization. And I'm not, I'm not the only one. And I don't think we're that bad on a scale of one to 10. Mm -hmm. um, so if you know my organization, please don't think that this is me saying we're horrible. Um, but I'm not the only one. So I've talked to other fundraisers who have similar issues or other people in philanthropy who have similar issues where on the surface, their organization is inclusive, but like inside of the organization in private, the inclusivity is not the same. It's not the same level of language or inclusivity. So um, have you come across that? <laughs> yes. Brittany is nodding, huge <laughs> nodding right now. Um, and like, how do you come, could you have, could I have that conversation internally at Pathways and just say like, hey, our integrity is being challenged when we are in these situations where we're not using inclusive language. How can we change that? Oh my God, did I just answer my own question? <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you. You made that very easy. <laughs> you just said what you just said from show notes, that part. Yes, that is what you do. Um, uh, yes, to both parts. Um, you can actually, and you, you said it so beautifully. Mm. I think a lot of times when people, gosh, and when, I was nodding emphatically. <laughs> I think it is <laughs> much more common than than not, uh, and it is it is very hard because nonprofit work is is very mission driven and heart centered, and people are passionate about um, what they're doing. And so when you see these dualities, it, it's really hard mm -hmm. to stomach. And I think you know not every leader is different. Honestly, not every organization is going to want to talk about things, but um, at the same time, I think people picture a knock down, drag out fight when they when they want to bring something up, and it doesn't have to be that. It can be presenting something with curiosity. Um, you said, you know, how can we how can we bring this into the organization a little bit more? What a great way to present it. Who's going to be like? Ew, I don't want to do that. 
Um, maybe some I of think them everyone's going to say that. That's You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I'm expecting. I'm expecting them to say, like, Valerie is a problem and she needs to go because we don't want to be challenged like this. Mm. So I – and I, I'm probably wrong, but I think in my head that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's a scary – it is a scary thing. It's your your job. I think by – but by asking just this curious question, can we have this conversation? Um, and it – so much of – as you were framing the question, it made me think a, a little bit about, you know, we're, we're in Pride Month and there have already been um, conversations about how, um, what's the term, rainbow washed things are, how about this community are these organizations putting up the pretty rainbows and then moving on. And then if they're challenged a little bit like, oh no, let's take that down. No, that's not that's not what this is about. That's not what it's about to be inclusive. It's not something that happens sometimes and not all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is so challenging. One of the things that organizations, especially when I work with them on the communications piece, come to me saying and fearing is we don't want to be called out as performative. They think of, they remember three years ago and all those organizations who were called out and um, about Black Lives Matter. Uh -huh, yep, I remember. Absolutely. And uh, it's overly simplistic, but I say to them, the way you don't get called out as performative is you don't be for performative. <laughs> <laughs> so simple and yet so difficult. So exactly. If you, it's not about perfection. If right. there are these goals that the organization has and you can talk to people and say, we're not perfect, but this is what we are working towards and this is what we are doing. People will respect that. Um, yeah. And gosh, if 2020, we should have learned so many things, um, but organizations should, should learn. It doesn't matter what you do if you're being performative, especially with Gen Z. I am such a fan of Gen Z. They are going <laughs> to sniff you out from a mile away. <laughs> I think it's also so easy so I have a I have a teenager in my life, a Gen Z teenager who does not use the pronouns that they look like. Mm -hmm. um, and the, it's so easy to just say, sorry, wrong pronouns, use the correct pronouns and move on. Like the amount of respect and the amount of appreciation they have for that simple, I'm sorry, and then doing it right is you don't get that from other generations. I think other generations are grudge holders and they think that you've got, you know, like negative things going on inside of you and you're being performative if you correct yourself, um, maybe at times. But Gen Z is like very quick to just say like, yep, that's right. Thank you. Appreciate you yeah. acknowledging that mistake. Let's move on. And they don't hold the grudge. Right. Right. It's And there's so many lessons we can learn from them and it's a shame that you know they're the young ones and they're having to correct the mess that we've uh the mess yeah continued and passed down but exactly like it doesn't have to be a big deal mm -hmm. oops sorry and now let me try this again just that simple i um this is a little bit off topic but i do some peer leader trainings for middle and high school students uh, around, you know, bias um, and anti-bias and things like that. Each time I, I walk in and after about a half hour, I'm like, I don't need to be here. <laughs> the, the, awesome. Just the language they use. Sometimes I wish I could tape record. Like they put things 
that I that I say routinely, but like they just say it in a much more perfect, more simple way. Um, you know, groups will have many times someone who's non-binary and it's such a non-issue. And it's just like, this is the most amazing and beautiful thing. And I, I, I just, it does not have to be that hard. That is what I learn each and every time I'm in those rooms. It just doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it. I have a tiny brag. Uh, I introduced said teenager to um, Shit's Creek, the TV show, to oh. a specific scene. We were we were talking about like being serenaded and like having someone sing you a love song and like how potentially embarrassing that would be. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. There's actually a really lovely scene from Shit's Creek where it's not at all embarrassing. It's actually like really heartwarming. And after we watched the scene, they said to me, "You really remind me of the mom because she just didn't care that like." the her son was being sang to by another guy and i was like yeah i really don't like if it makes you happy then i don't oh. care and then i was like did you just did you just compare me to moira rose oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> priorities priorities <laughs> yeah like i i couldn't even like accept the compliment i was just like oh my god you think i'm like moira rose this is amazing <laughs> and also a little scary but amazing um mainly amazing yeah mainly amazing yeah so um that just like <clears throat> true like support of someone where you don't care so much what is happening as long as they feel supported and loved and cared for um it it's not as hard as i don't know it's not as hard as people make it out to be at yeah. least for me yeah I totally and i think for for the folks in your audience if they can you know think about what they're seeing play out with with pride month and corporations and think about that on a, a more, a smaller level, maybe what, what their own organizations are, are putting out. Okay, this is great that you're putting it out, but, and that's one level of action, but then what is the level that's happening internally? And inclusion, that always has to be how it works. It can't be just, oh, here, we're saying the right thing. It has to be at every layer. And using one other example of school students, my son is in fourth grade, uh, and I'll use the example from, from last year. The third graders are a little bit less sassy, um, but I went to talk to his class on career day and, you know, they're big ideas, but explained, broke down the words, diversity, equity, inclusion. Inclusion, I asked them, what's a word you know that is, is found in this? And they said, oh, and I spoke to four different groups and each one had at least one person say something like, oh, would that be like, if we were at the playground and someone's playing by themselves and we just have them play with us. I said, that is exactly what it is. Aww. Why do these babies get it? <laughs> get these adults. But it was just so beautiful because again, it was a reminder of that's what we all kind of naturally do. Mm -hmm. And then we get further and further away from it. And we need to keep thinking about how do we make sure everyone's on the playground, everyone's playing, everyone's having a chance to be in a group and be invited and have fun. So let's say you're a leader at either a nonprofit or a local foundation, your job is to support your community. What are some things that you can do to make sure that everyone in your community feels included, like everybody in your community actually feels that as opposed to the performative 
it's black mm -hmm. history month we support black history except that of the last four people we fired three of them were black like it happens way more often than people want to admit <laughs> Yes. You know what? And also I am tired of, so there was, you know, two shootings that happened in two different communities. And I literally saw an organization basically like, it looked like they just like updated the, their like press release. And I was just like, this is what they said for the, for the other shooting. Now it's just a, like one was like, you know, uh, like it was like the Buffalo shooting. And I think a couple of weeks later, there was some like Asian hate um, mm. shooting or something like that. And it was like, did they just adapt it? Like, wow. Like, wh why say anything? Like, I don't, I don't understand, right? Like, like, can, like, can we move away from that? Mm -hmm. Can we? Ooh. Um, and yeah, I had to laugh, cough when you mentioned the, the firings, because yeah, that, seen, seen that a lot. Um, but yeah. nobody says it. Like, I right. feel like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I'm like, let's look at who is being put on pips at our organization? Who's being right. put on a pip? Yep. Are they being held to the same standard as the people who are not on pips? And my eyes tell me one thing. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation at the organization is, oh, well, it's not because of that. It's because this person's not performing. This person's performance mm -hmm. is actually exactly where this person's performance is. I see one very striking visual difference. Yeah. Can we talk yeah. about it? Or they're being brought into a situation like someone just shared with me a report around how you know black women but black leaders are being brought into organizations at times of crises and then yes. you know expecting them and it's just like wait a minute we already know that like first of all can we start with all the reports like stop writing reports about things that have been written reports about that we all know but you're being put on a pip as an executive director from a board or being whatever but they're also being set up Mm -hmm. to, to, to fail and then it's like oh well especially after 2020 it was like oh it's 2020 we got to put a, a black ed at the head of this organization but it's mm -hmm. like everyone's in crisis and now you're like why aren't you being successful first of all nobody's being successful right now but mm -hmm. then two you just put this person in and didn't even give them the autonomy to actually perform at the level they needed to perform at mm -hmm. but you've got all these dei principles or Ooh. we updated our bylaws or mm -hmm. our theory or whatever but we're actually again being more performative than authentically implementing things yeah oh gosh all right there are a lot of things there um, <laughs> we just asked you to solve a very serious problem and we have about five minutes to cover your oh, oh, no, no problem no problem all in a day's work here all we go day's work <laughs> um so the so what i find a lot in this work is people want simple answers mm -hmm. and i'm the one to say there's no simple answer there is no checkbox if you want just your little five step to inclusive culture that's not me that's not anyone because that's not honest you have to want to be better and you have to be trying for it and striving for it every day and knowing some days you're going to have setbacks and be like oh crap but you keep trying you don't give up oh well this isn't working so that's one of the biggest things I would say. So to that person who wants to be sure everyone in the community is taken care of, I want them to look at the challenge as not, it has to be, you know, not by, by Q3, I need to know all these, like, nope, it's about relationships and valuing them. And that 
takes time um, and build those relationships and being genuine. And as you say, Monique, authentic about that is going to be how you get to that path. And as people in the community see, okay, this person isn't just, pardon my French, bullshitting, they, they really do care, uh, then that's how you're going to start to really get people to see that they care, uh, that you are cared about as a, a person. And then in turn, you'll start to, to um, be able to have really genuine conversations so many, I can't remember who said it, but someone someone I was working with on a prod project in 2020 and you know, everyone thought, oh, the answer is just, just grab more black people, put them in the organization. And he said, my concern is all of these organizations basically wanting to grab black people off the street and just put them in these organizations that have done no work to ensure that that black person can succeed. And yeah. we saw a lot, of that, a lot of that. And we saw so many of those folks being burned out, being treated like crap, being fired because they weren't good enough, um, because there was no infrastructure set mm-hmm. for this supposed inclusivity that they wanted. So there have to be honest conversations. And places don't like having that. Um, it is one of my favorite things to, to do for some reason, to just go and be like, and talk about all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Right it's when why I meet we you. like you. It's why we like you so much. You're amazing. I love it. Many <laughs> people would be like, this is a nightmare. I'm just like, this is the best thing ever. Um, uh, and it's about having, taking a long, hard look and doing that on an ongoing basis. And that can be, that can be very hard, especially if it's, you know, if leadership has been there a while, if there's this entrenched culture of just being a yes man or yes woman um, or yes person. But, um, you know, if this is what organizations say they want, then these are the things that they have to do. And if they're not willing to do them, then there should just be an honest conversation that, okay, then this is actually not what you want. And, And you should, you need to be okay with that and saying it and just being honest about it. So many things just popped up in my head. And uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> we are coming to the end. So I, I want to keep we talking to you so much, but uh, Monique, pick one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, what's, what's the best one to pick? Um, so it's like a two-parter. Forgive me, guys. We're Carter's go okay. I'll allow it's it. It's a two-parter. So I don't know why I'm suddenly in charge of making that decision. I just annoy <laughs> I know. It's myself. okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so two, well, part A, part B. What you said reminded me or made me think about affirmative action and the fact that a lot of states are, are pushing back on it now. And part of me is like, we shouldn't need it right? Because we should just be inclusive. And if we're really trying to be inclusive, I like what you said, if that's not what you're trying to do, just own it, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you, if that's, if you don't want to diversify, if you don't want, just own it and just own it and be there. Um, but if you don't, right? Like if you really want to be like, I don't need affirmative action. I want to be diverse. I want to be inclusive. Something that you said was, you know, you should be checking back in. And that's something that a lot of leaders in this sector don't do, even like with strategic plans, they set the plan and then they just go off. Right. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Now we need a new plan, but you never tracked against it. 
-hmm. what should they be tracking against, right? Like if you're really trying to authentically be it, not because somebody mandated something on you, not because you're trying to be performative, but you're trying to be authentic in implementation. How should you really be checking back? Like what are some key indicators that we should be looking towards? I know that might vary depending on the organization and what their goals are, but can you just... I don't know. Can you just give some insights into a few that might be like some standard things or that other you've seen other people do? That's it. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big question at all. <laughs> okay, that uh, phenomenal question. Uh, I will do my best to to answer it. So the check back in part, uh, and I love you bringing up that that that's just a challenge in in any aspect of the work happening in a nonprofit. Um, not that additional work is, is what anyone needs, right? but something that I've heard from clients that they've done, and, and sometimes I have um, recommended is, you know, maybe it's your leadership team. Maybe it's just one or two people in the organization who know you well, can call you on your BS, um, have almost a personal accountability board um, someone that can just be like, and this, these aren't official measures, but can help open your eyes to when we were talking about the inclusivity isn't at the organizational level, can be like, okay, do you realize in that meeting how much space you allowed Bill to take up? But then there were these three women who wanted to speak and you barely let them utter those words. Are you aware that you did this, that this happened? And that, that this is something that you do and that someone can just start to get you to notice your own patterns. And that can be such a powerful way to, to acknowledge, not just personally, but that, wow, if I'm having these issues, we must be having these challenges across the organization. And then, you know, some common you were asking, asking about, you know, some common measures. It does really depend upon the, what the organization has prioritized. Many say that it is, um, that, you know, want to diversify their, their team. Okay. Part of defining that, well, what does it look like? We've all seen that graphic of, you know, what diversity is and what it isn't and people, you know, having the diversity all at the bottom, none at the top. Mm -hmm. We know that it takes time to have change at the top, but let's talk about all of that all at once. And then let's figure out where we want to be with each of these types of roles, you know, maybe entry level, middle management, le leadership, um, and see where we are. Uh, so something really thinking through and maybe de uh, defining even better, then or even more clearly than necessarily may happen already. And just having having some sort of check-in, formal or informal with someone who just, you have the rapport, they can just, they know you, they can bust your balls um, and say, hey, did you notice this, that, the other thing? Okay, see you next week. That Those are all Thank really, you. that's great. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, we have certainly uh, challenged you with some really difficult questions and you have 
risen to the occasion beautifully. So thank you for it. Yes, thank you. Whew, you and I feel really like we just it. I feel like we just like touched the surface of a lot of things. We really did. Yeah. Um, and I know that you do consulting and training. So please like let our listeners know if they want to dig deeper in their own organizations, you know, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love, as I mentioned, I love helping organizations start to have those hard conversations. I've also started working um, more specifically uh, and more closely with leaders to help them find ways to um, to be more inclusive and equitable in, in the work that they do. Um, I have an anti-racist uh, mastermind that I am starting with other um, leaders who are about this work, who are kind of into the community to help each other navigate tough problems and in, in often organizations where it's not terribly hospitable to what they're trying to do. So really trying to be strategic and navigating. So if any of that sounds sounds interesting or if there's something else that you think your organization um, might be might need, feel free to hop on my website. It is brandoncampbell.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-Y-N, <laughs> Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. -L. I'm on LinkedIn. Always love having conversations, even if you're not sure what you want or need, um, feel free to reach out. Amazing. We'll make sure that's in the episode uh, notes as well. Great. Thank you. This Thank was wonderful. You. No, this was. Thank you for joining us, Brandon, and thank you to our listeners. And if you didn't know, now you know, this has been Beyond Philanthropy. Thanks, guys.